Welcome to Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road, Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. Good morning again. Good to see you here, and I want to thank, once again, thank Ben for filling in for me last week. For those of you who don't know, I was in, well, I was here last week, but during the week I had gone to Pennsylvania to move my parents to Arkansas, so they are now residents of Arkansas. And the, yeehaw, there you go, yeehaw. You're, you're officially arrived. Today is a special day. We're going to get back to uh, James next week. But uh, today is November 1st, and it is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to speak for a few minutes here at the beginning. It's going to be a little bit abbreviated, but we're going to spend some time praying. And we're going to be praying first for the unreached. And as we'll see as we kind of look through this, a lot of the persecuted church is located in areas of the world that is is, uh, very few Christians. And then we're also going to uh, pray, of course, for persecuted Christians in other parts of the world, but not just other parts of the world, but here as well. And then a final little thing at the very end. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. And as we think about prayer for the persecuted church, one of the questions that immediately arises, how do we pray for the persecuted church? For brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering for the faith. And when we think about that idea, the first thing that jumps out probably to most of us are people in other countries. We think of Christians in, whether it's a Muslim predominant country or an atheistic communistic country, a place where Christians often lose their homes, they, they lose their jobs, they're ostracized from the community. Many are thrown in prison even lose their life or lose the life of, of many of their loved ones. And yes, obviously, and we will be definitely praying for that, and that is foremost. But even in our own little world, in your own life, I'm sure you've faced some persecution. You may have known others here. Maybe it's a, a kid that goes to school or goes to college that has a particular teacher or professor that is, is uh, hard on them for their faith or, or friends that through peer pressure or different things, or persecuting them for their beliefs. Maybe you, you have a boss or a coworker that has found out about your faith and has made your life a little bit miserable in whatever capacity. Obviously, it's not quite the same as what we've thought about throughout history, but let's, that's part of persecution. And so how do we pray beyond just, Lord, make it go away? That's a good one, but beyond that. Well, the Apostle Paul, as, as he writes, he wrote a significant portion of the New Testament. He wrote a lot of the letters, basically from Romans all the way to Philemon. And as we read this, as we look at what he said, he, he included up to, it depends on how you look at it, 42 different prayers. Either what he prayed for people or what he asked people to pray for him. And this was a time in the first century when Paul, I mean, we know the stories. He's been thrown in prison. He's been beaten. There's been churches that have had all of their stuff destroyed, things taken from them. And so as we see this back and forth of prayer, we can learn a little bit how to pray for the persecuted church. When we get to 2 Thessalonians, this is the second letter, hence the second part. 
that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul started this church in his first missionary journey. We learn about that. If you keep your finger here in 2 Thessalonians, we learn about the, the, the creation of this church in Acts chapter 17. It's right there in the first few verses. This is, I'll let you figure out why I love this, this particular passage of Scripture as I read through it. In Acts chapter 17, beginning verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphilopolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So for the persecuted church, it starts out here, there is the preaching of the gospel. There is some form of following the word of Christ. We pick it up, verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of da, 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 Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I love that description. They've turned the world upside down. If that could happen again. And Jason received them, and they all are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. So there's a gospel witness. People come to know faith. There are attackers or persecutors that don't like what's going on. In some way, shape, form, or fashion, their opposition turns to persecution. And what we're talking about today is not just the general bad things we occasionally face in life. We are talking about this. When we live our lives, we do what God has called us to do, and we face opposition. And particularly for those in other parts of the world that face intense persecution. And so Paul, as he writes, he wrote a letter to the church at Thessalonica. And then after that, probably after his second missionary journey, we think he wrote this second one. If you go to verse 11 of chapter 3, it says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Well, there were just some issues going on in the church which caused Paul to write this letter. But at the very beginning of this chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we see this, this prayer that he shares, or his prayer request. So I'm going to ask you, in the honor of God's word, to stand. I'm going to read the first five verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God to the steadfastness of Christ. Lord, as we look at these verses for just a few moments, Lord, and then we gather as a body to pray for people around this world, Lord, let us never lose sight that you promised if we follow you that we would face persecution in this world. It's just a given. So Lord, give us the strength, give others the strength to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Paul, as he was persecuted, as he writes to a church that was persecuted, as we see in these verses, what does he talk about first? First, he talks about just the gospel. It says, 
Pray for us. What's right at the top? What's the first thing? That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored has happened among you. He's saying, listen, pray for us as we're out there in this difficult environment that the word of God happens in other parts of the world just like it happened for you. Just as you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, we want to see that happen in other parts of the world. Yeah, I know all sorts of persecution and struggles. We'll get to that. But first and foremost is the spread of the gospel. And I like what it says here, that it may speed ahead. Speed, it's, it's the absence of obstacles. In my neighborhood, I live on North Hills Boulevard on the other side of JFK, and there are no speed bumps on my road. When I was a kid, I hated speed bumps. When I first got my driver's license, you know, my dad's here now, so I won't tell you all the things I did with his car when I first turned 16. Sorry. And uh, I got kids that are about to drive, and I'm like, oh, man, they're, they're doomed. I, you know, but speed bumps, what are they there for? They're there to slow you down. Now that I'm a, you know, an adult with kids and I see people, I'm the guy on the side of the road, slow down, you know, as they drive by, and I don't, it's dangerous. That's great, and that's wonderful on a road to slow people down, but when it comes to the gospel, what we're asking here is, God, remove the speed bumps. Remove the obstacles. There are so many things in the way of, of, of barriers of language, barriers of, of here, what we're talking about today, persecution, government interference, people in communities that try and stop the spread of the gospel. And what Paul says is, before anything, pray that God would remove those things. Not only that the, it would speed ahead, but that it would be honored. Honored. When I think of that, that it would be honored among us, I think Paul is saying, listen, that the word of God, when you're talking about people struggling, being persecuted for their faith, that they would keep center and, and, and in the middle of their life, the gospel, the word of the Lord, because if it's not, persecution is going to destroy you. It's funny how when you go into a, a room, almost any room in your house, there is a, a centerpiece from which everything else in that room kind of flows. For most people, if you go in their living room, not everybody, but the, the vast majority of people, you go in the living room, the first thing is figure out where we're going to put the TV. You got to figure out where is the TV going to be because the TV then will dictate where the couch is going to be, which will then dictate where the rug might be or the, the coffee table or the end table or the plants or the lamps and all. Nobody walks into a room and goes, where are we going to put the coasters? I mean, you may get to that, but that's long down on the list. The first thing you figure out, you know, it's like a bedroom. You walk into a bedroom. First thing, where are we going to put the bed? Because then from where the bed is, is the dressers and everything else. There's something that is, has a place of honor. We may not say it that way, but it is the thing that is at the center point that everything else flows from. And as Paul is writing, he says that the word of God may be honored as happened among you, that the word of Christ, that Jesus Christ became center in your life and everything else flowed from that. So how you approach your job flows from Christ and his word being center in your life. How you raise your kids. How you deal with a, a boss that you just don't get along with. How you go along with all of these things and especially how you deal with people that oppose Christianity. Because if the word of the Lord is incentive, if it's something else in your life, when that opposition comes, when that struggle comes, you're going to be so much more tempted to just say, this isn't worth it. I mean, we see people in some of these other cultures that, that have lost almost everything, and you scratch your head. We're going to see a video in a minute here, and you go, how in the world do you get up the next day and go on? Because the word of the Lord has a place of high, high honor in their lives. 
So Paul, right off the bat, talks about the gospel, the word of God. Don't lose sight of that. And then he talks about deliverance, verse 2. That we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Now, when we talk about deliverance, what do we... Well, there's different ways of seeing deliverance. One, obviously, is just the persecution goes away. The people that, the evil men, the wicked men, that, that, that's removed in some capacity. Think of two stories quickly from the, the book of Acts that jump to mind. The first is Peter. Early on, as the church is just getting its, its feet under him, Peter's arrested, he's in prison, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, an angel shows up, the shackles fall off, everybody, all the, the cops, all the, they're sound asleep, the door's open, he can escape, he walks out, he ends up back where there's a, a prayer meeting going on, they finally let him in, and he recounts the story, he's, he's delivered from persecution. On the other hand, a little bit later in the book of Acts, as the gospel has spread, as, it has, as we see here in, in Acts and Thessalonica, it has overturned the world, or turned the world upside down. Paul and Silas find themselves in prison like Peter. This time there's not a supernatural, you know, the angel doesn't show up, but there's an earthquake, and the same basic thing happens. They could get out, they could leave, but they don't. They stay, and when the jailer shows up, who's afraid that everybody has escaped and that's going to cost him his life, he shows up, they're still there, singing. In both instances, there's a deliverance there, but in one case, Peter leaves. the other case, Paul and Silas stay. Well, when Peter, that was early on. The church was just forming, and God used that as a powerful tool, a powerful witness to the church. Look what God can do. Look at as he grows it. Paul, he's already seen the church grow. It's, it's probably hundreds of thousands of people at that point. And here he's on a frontier land, letting these, these unconverted people see what God has done in his life. So much so, it's changed Paul so radically, he didn't even get out of prison when he could. They're delivered in different ways, but different ways of the gospel being the main focus, the, the work of Christ being the main focus in their life. There's a joy. It's amazing. Have you ever watched those videos of some of the people that struggle in some of these countries and they're smiling? There's a joy. Deliverance can also come by via death. Another passage in Acts is the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first deacons. We don't ever really focus on this when we're asking people, guys, to be deacons. You know, you could get stoned. You know, hey, there's that part. But he shares the gospel. He upsets some people, so they drag him before the religious leaders. There's this back and forth. He shares a long, it's one of the longest chapters in, in the New Testament about the whole story of Christ. And they kill him. And as the bones in his body are breaking, as the blood is pouring out of the places where his skin is broken, he's asking God to forgive them. And from that moment, a great revival takes place. The church spreads throughout the kingdom because Stephen was delivered from persecution. So how do you do that? How do you pray for the forgiveness of the people that are taking your life? How do you pray for the people that have persecuted you for so long? Paul, I think, shows us how in the last few verses we'll look at. Verse 3, the Lord is faithful. What does he say? He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things we commanded. And then he says this, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God 
and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. At the heart of this, what he says, that the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. That it's not about people. It's not about, you know, everybody aligning with your values or whatever. You love God. You love the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He forgave you of your sins. You have an eternity. You love him so much. This is what directs your heart. That God would direct your heart to this overwhelming love because that is what motivates you to do things that don't make any sense. When it comes to people that are persecuting you. I'm blown away every year. You know, we have when it's Memorial Day, Veterans Day, July 4th or whatever. And I think of soldiers who died in battle. And we honor them and revere them because here they are. They were out somewhere in the middle of who knows where on a battlefield knowing that they're never going to experience the fruits of what they're, they're going to die. Some of them come to that point, they realize we're not going to survive this, but they fight, they do the things, and we honor them as well we should. And they do that because there's, some, there's a love of this country, the love of the freedom that they have, the love of the people that are back here, their loved ones. In a greater way, we should even have the same thought for the kingdom. No matter how great you think the United States is, it one day will be gone, but the kingdom of God will not. That as we live our lives for Christ and the suffering that we sometimes face or these people in other countries face, they know it's worth it because it's for the kingdom. It's for the word of Christ. It's so that people will know him and make him known. You can't just bring that up. So I tried to think of some of the persecution I faced for my faith. When I first moved to Memphis, Tennessee, I had a boss who was crooked. He was ripping off the place where I was working, and I was kind of figuring out. He tried to get me to go in on it, and I just I wouldn't do it. And he was not nice, to put it politely, to me. And I'll be honest with you, in the flesh, which I was a little more at that time, I didn't like him. He got fired, and I'll be honest with you, I was happy. I watched him go, and I just kind of smiled as he left. And I think how petty that was. He was lost. And the little amount of persecution he put me through was not all that great. And I think I had lost a little bit of the focus here when it says, the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, that I would say, God, direct my heart to love you so that these people, whoever they are, wherever they might be, Lord, that I would have a love for them. Now, what we're going to do this morning, since it's the International Day of Prayers, we're actually going to pray. Not just me speak, but we're all going to pray. And I'm going to ask uh, Ben and uh, uh, Andrew to come up here. Or Brady. Andrew, that's your son. But Brady to come up here. Sorry, you, you have a brain. He can play if he's really talented. But And we're going to divide what we're going to look at here into to three things. The first, we're going to pray for the unreached. And you're going to see a brief little video. I've shown this before, but just in case you don't remember it, talking a little bit about unreached people. Because so many people suffering for the faith, they're in locations where virtually nobody knows Christ. And so one of the things we're going to pray for is that those areas of the world, especially, that there is a gospel. So I'm going to ask you to show the unreached people group video, and then I'll explain what we're going to do right after that. What is a UPG? UPG stands for Unreached People Group, but to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? 
A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations, or people groups, within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs, or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb people, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta Ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. So what I'm going to ask you to do here for the next couple of minutes, we're going to have a, a, there'll be a slide up there with some particular things that you can pray for. But the first thing we want to do is pray for the unreached. And so you saw that video. The, the thing that always strikes me is less than 3% of our missionary forces actually where 95% of the people who have never heard are. And so there's things up here to pray for. These guys are just going to kind of quietly pray. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, take the next couple of minutes, and pray for the unreached in our world.
Well, we sang earlier about the fields are, are ripe for harvest. And Lord, you yourself said to ask for laborers, Lord. And I ask today for that. Lord, I lift up our young people in our church, the children and deep to those in one, college age, anyone, Lord, retirees that are wondering what to do with their life, Lord, that they would hear your call, that there are fields out there. Lord, I lift up our, our missionaries that we have for Sean and Jenny and Papua New Guinea. Encourage them this morning, Lord. I pray that they would see fruit to their labor. Van Sykes, as they prepare to go to Thailand here soon, Lord, that you would remove the speed bumps to them getting there. Lord, for Leslie Wolf in Africa, as she continues to, to live out the remainder of her life there to this place that you have called her to. Lord, I do lift up the few believers in these areas who encourage them this morning. And Lord, I lift up our church. Lord, it's easy to, to get focused on our little problems, Lord, but you have given us a great, great mandate to go into all the world and make disciples. Lord, here in, in Sherwood and in, in the greater Little Rock area throughout our country, but throughout the world, Lord, I thank you for the stories that we hear from people that have gone to China, they've gone to Central America, they go up to South Dakota, Lord, throughout the world to take the gospel, and Lord, I pray that we continue to do that, we expand and we grow it each and every year. And Lord, we just pause this morning to lift up those in this world that you have given us the command to go to, and we would do that. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Now, as we move to the next section, this is for the persecuted church. So we're also going to show a brief video, and then we're going to have a time of prayer after that. So if you guys would, let's watch this video. My name is Jeanette. I am a Christian, and I love Jesus with all my heart. I love my children, and I love the people of my country, the Central African Republic. There are both Christians and Muslims in my country, and we lived as neighbors as I worked to reach them for Christ. But my hope for a peaceful life didn't last. Our village was ambushed by the Islamist attackers. Guns started firing, and we started running as fast as we could into the bush. All the Christians in my village were killed or driven into hiding. I fled with my children. We didn't even have time to put on our shoes or clothes. Attacks like these have been targeting Christians in the Central African Republic for eight years and continue today. Churches and missionary stations that have been built over decades have been destroyed along with Christians' homes that have been burnt to the ground. In one area, the only structures that remained were the metal roofs of two churches. Thousands of Christians have spent years in makeshift temporary shelters far from their homes as the violence and instability continues. Delivering desperately needed help to displaced Christians often means overcoming impassable roads, using cargo planes, trucks, motorcycles, bicycles, 
and even canoes. With God's help, supplies are making it to Christians scattered throughout various camps. Today, Jeanette and more than 30,000 Christians in the Central African Republic have been driven from their homes, all because of their faithfulness in maintaining a witness for Christ in majority Muslim areas in the face of severe Islamist violence. These courageous believers, our Christian brothers and sisters in the Central African Republic, have shown God's love and forgiveness to their persecutors. They continue to faithfully follow the Lord and trust Him to meet their needs. like with the last one we're going to have some slides up here you can pray through those take a few minutes these guys are going to play quietly in the background pray for these folks Father, this morning as we lift up uh, persecuted church, those as we just saw this video, Lord, I have no idea what it would be like to, to walk out of this room 
to gunfire to running into the woods, knowing I might never return. Maybe with my family, maybe without all of them, and not knowing what happens. Lord, to lose the comforts and the things that I've grown so used to, I just, that's hard to fathom. And yet for the people that we, we read about, we pray for, Lord, this is their reality. So, Lord, we lift them up today. We lift up those that have lost loved ones, that you would comfort them, those that have lost just the basic physical needs that they would be provided. Lord, I ask that you would convict us to look at all of the th ways that you've blessed us, all of the things that we have, and say, how can we use those for your kingdom to help those places like this? And, Lord, we lift up the persecutors. Lord, those that have gotten so far into wickedness they don't even realize what they're doing Lord that they would come to a knowledge of you they would come to a knowledge of their sin they would come to a knowledge of their hell bound trajectory Lord and that they would return return from that and come to you so Lord I pray for the faithful witness of those in these, these areas of the world and Lord I pray for us as well when we deal with those in our own culture in the same way in Jesus name I pray Amen I got one last thing I want to share before we go. And if you still have your Bibles in 2 Thessalonians, I want you to look over one more page. This will just take a moment. So the next book, it's 1 Timothy. Paul wrote this letter as well. He wrote it to a guy named Timothy, and he has a lot of different things to say. But I want to focus for just a couple of minutes, chapter 2. He says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Then he gets specific in the next verse. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. All of us know that there's an election on Tuesday. And there has been a lot of talk, probably more talk than needs to be talked, over the past six months about everything that's going on with this. But this is what the Bible tells us to pray for, for our leaders. For those who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so we pray that the president, the senators, the congress, the mayors, all of these people, they allow us to live this way. Not just so that as Christians we can sit back and go, whoo, I can watch TV and eat bonbons or whatever it is and quiet and peaceful. But the next verse says this, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so we pray that our leaders basically get out of the way of our job of going and t preaching the gospel to people, to speaking the truth to people. The reality is sometimes that's the way it is. We can do that freely. Sometimes it's not. Our command, no matter what, is to go and to preach the gospel and ask that God... Give us a chance to do that through our leaders. And the thing that we always need to remember as we pray here to, to close here in just a moment is whoever wins and is the president, and I know it sounds cliche, but they're not God. God is. They do what he allows. They act the way he allows them to act, and they can accomplish what he allows them to accomplish. And so we pray. So I'm going to ask us, we're going to, I'm going to pray here just quietly or I'm going to pray out loud, sorry, to dismiss us here in just a moment.
And what I do, I want to give you a couple of things to take with you as you leave. First of all, right outside of these two doors on my left, as you go out, there's our little missions area. You may have noticed when this when you came in, but there are so there's a little thing over by the drinking fountain and then over on the back wall. There's a bunch of little cards. Those cards represent unreached people or people that are being persecuted. I encourage you to grab one of those and take it home and pray. One of the things about a day like today, the International Day of Prayer, can be seem overwhelming. Well, there's so many people, so many areas of the world, so many. I choose, challenge you to pick one. Maybe you individually pray for a particular people group or you find a particular missionary or a particular country. Maybe your family has something that you pray for. We pray for a guy named Lalitha in India. My family does. Maybe your life group picks a people group, picks a missionary, picks something to say, you know what, every week in life group, we're going to talk for a few moments about this particular group of people and we're going to pray for them. Don't get overwhelmed with everything. Go get a card and just start there. And then in addition to that, Carol Martin, I think you out there. Okay, stand up for just a second. Carol Martin has graciously offered to open up her house at 1 o'clock on Tuesday if anybody wants to come and pray, talking about the election. We actually are a polling place here, so it makes it really difficult to come here because there's just lots of people here. But I'm going to ask Carol, if you don't mind, just stand out there in that little area after the service is over. If you want to ask her where she lives, you can ask her where she lives. But this is going to be, it's going to be probably a little different week and a different Sunday when we come back next week. But we need to pray. So would you bow your heads as I dismiss this. Lord, it says here to just ask that we could lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified. In so many ways I would not describe the past six months as godly and dignified. In so many ways. And so, Lord, that this, this moment, I pray that we never forget that ultimately we are part of the kingdom of God. Our ultimate allegiance is to a risen Savior. Lord, that as we look at this world in a way that's divided up so many ways, black and white, rich or poor, powerful, oppressed, your word describes it as lost and saved people that know Christ and people that don't. And for those of us that know you as Savior and Lord, our job is to be witnesses, to go into all this world. Sometimes the people that want to listen, sometimes the people that hate our guts. And they, some wanted to listen to you and some hated your guts. And so I pray that you give us the strength and the perseverance to do that. And so Lord, I lift up President Donald Trump. I lift up Joe Biden. I lift up the senators throughout our country, our representatives, and Lord, I ask that you would work in their lives. They answer to you, all of them. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that no matter who is is there, Lord, that you would work. You'd work through us. You would allow this world of this country to see Christians and go, wow, there is something different. Like when they saw Paul singing in prison when he could have left. So, Lord, I thank you for that opportunity to be a light. Praise you, and I thank you for your son. And, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, before we leave, they'd come and talk to me. They'd come and find one of our elders, Lord, that they would just find somebody beside them and just say, I want to know more about this Jesus Christ. I want to know more about these people that have such joy in their hearts when they've lost everything. How can I have something like that? They wouldn't leave here without it. 
Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.